it. Guys, thank you very much. That was fantastic. Um, guys, welcome back from our gathering Cation. Uh, we take a little bit uh, time off. Some of you, I was just talking to a couple gals. They were like, we just came at the end of July and then we stopped. And so welcome back. We're glad, we're glad to have you guys. Uh, we just take a break typically just to give our team, our volunteers, uh, a little bit of a break, a breather throughout the year. But welcome back. We're glad to have you guys here. Um, I want to start by saying or talking about vacation because I think we've all probably been on one or we're looking forward to going on one. We want vacation. But one of the things that's key in a vacation is planning your vacation. I don't know that, I mean, there, there may be a few of you that are just crazy and wild enough where you're like, let's just get in the car and drive and see what happens. Like, I don't, I don't that's not me, probably not most of you. If you're gonna spend money to go somewhere, you wanna make sure that the money is well spent and you have a great time. And so a well-planned vacation is the goal. And so I got to do that last fall. Uh, last November, my wife and I got to uh, leave the kiddos at home uh, with the grandparents, and we got to go away to my wife's favorite uh, place on the planet, and that is Disney World. And one of the funnest things was I, I, I gave this present to her as our uh, anniversary, but I gave it to her at Valentine's Day. Our anniversary is in August. And I did this for a strategic reason because one of her favorite parts of vacation, especially at Disney World, is planning the vacation. Right? She downloads the app, she gets on the website, she calls the travel agent, she, she's working all the angles, working all the deals, planning when we get there, when we, we'll get to the hotel, drop our stuff, and then we'll go to this park, we'll eat at this restaurant, and then we're gonna be here the next morning at eight o'clock for a fast pass, and then we're gonna jet over here for lunch, like all the logistics. And it's crazy town, but she loves it. Like just making all the little changes. And so when you get there, if you've ever been to Disney World or Disneyland even, like, this is a vital part of the experience. Like, you need to plan out Disney World. Like, if you just show up and you're like, hey, we'll just cross our fingers and have a great time. Like, you might have a great time, but most of your time will be spent being frustrated because of the long lines that you didn't get a fast pass for or the restaurant that you didn't get a reservation for and it's a three-hour wait. And by the time you get there, it's no longer lunch. Right, like all of a sudden, and there's crowds and craziness and extra things you can do, and there's all these things. And if, you're, if you don't plan accordingly, your vacation is gonna be frustrating. And most likely, you're gonna spend the whole time having a serious case of FOMO, because you see what's happening over there, you're like, ah, I wish we would have done that, or I wish we could have done that again, or all these kind of things. And the reason I share this, this picture of Disney World with you in the middle of this COVID where we can't really travel and do stuff is to this point. I think traveling to, on vacation, in this particular case, Disney World, has a lot of similarities to the season of being a young adult. Because when you are looking, right, for those of you who went to college and you're looking at graduation, there's an excitement in the air. You're like, I'm finally done, right? So finally someone else is gonna pay me for my time instead of me paying them for my time. And so you, you, there's this excitement, right, and you know it's gonna be a little bit crazy, it's gonna be crazy. There's gonna be some ups and there's gonna be some downs, there's gonna be some twists and there's gonna be some turns, just like Disney World. But here's the problem that we, we run into very quickly when we get into our adulting years is we realize there is no app, there is no website, and there is no phone number to call to say, what's the plan? Where do I go, when should I be there, what should I expect? Like that does not exist. And so you guys are in this season of life where you're like, yeah, it's kind of exciting and terrifying all at the same time. 
I'm paralyzed by decisions, but it's kind of fun to make my own decisions. It's like I want, I want to have the freedom to, I can move wherever I want. I can take a job on the East Coast, West Coast, whatever. I can work from my, my home office in Montana and my job's in Dallas. Like, like, but the, with options come this paralyzing fear of making the wrong choice. And so there's a, this idea that we, we love to have a plan. And so we called this series Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda. Because as I sat down with a focus group of young adults several weeks ago and said, hey, tell me what it's like to be a young adult in 2020. What I constantly heard through almost every comment was, I just wish there was a plan, someone to tell me I'm doing it right, someone to tell me, hey, keep going, it's gonna be okay. Hey, just, just be faithful, keep going. Or hey, you know what, turn, let's go a different direction, this is not working out. Like, because we desire that. We want the plan so that we know if we're on the right track. Just like when you go to Disney World and you pull out the app and it tells you your whole day. And so when you get to the end, you're like, we did it. Mission accomplished, I did a good job. And we want that as adults. We're like, I want someone to call me at night and be like, hey, Andy, you did it. Good job, you're adulting well. Like, you know, like, like we, would, who would love a, call, a phone call like that, right? Somebody like, you're doing it, good job. And so when we think about this woulda, coulda, shoulda, like with that comes a lot of advice from friends and family and aunts and uncles and grandmas. Like if I were you, I would do this. Or if I were you, or you know what, you should do this, or you, maybe you could do this. Like I love this, to play with my kids a little bit because I love playing the game of I could have done that, right? Because they're, they're always asking me like, you know, Andy, or, or they don't call me Andy, they call me dad. Uh, <laughs> that's a big no-no. Um, but I love the fact that Tom Brady, all right, is 43 years old. Because guess who else is 43 years old? This guy. And so as long as Tom Brady plays, I tell my children, guys, I could still be an NFL quarterback. You can be 43, so just be careful, I might change jobs. And they're like, really, are you serious? I'm like, well, Tom Brady's 43, I'm 43, right? And they're like, oh yeah, like, <laughs> I love it. I love their innocence, it's very encouraging to me. But we get this idea of you should do this, I should, I should have done that. And it's just constant, I, I woulda, I coulda, I shoulda. Now you guys are on the front side of this looking forward. What should I do? What could I do? What would you do? Right, as you get, as I, I'm on more on the backside, I was like, man, I, I could have done that. I could have been an NFL quarterback. I should have done this. Or if I could go back, I would do this. And so this idea of woulda, coulda, shoulda has this underlying idea that we believe that if we don't get it right now, then everything else will be messed up. That if we don't make the right decision now, if we don't take the right job right now, it is gonna set your life on a trajectory that will never be corrected. And that's a paralyzing fear. And so this series, we're gonna cover a multitude of topics geared toward helping you have a greater clarity and purpose as you adult by having a greater clarity of who God is, who you are, and what God is doing in and through your life. That's the goal of this series. Because at the end of the day, here's a harsh reality that I don't think we like to think about is that every time you say yes to something, you make a decision, you're also saying no to something else. And so this whole idea of FOMO, of fear of missing out, woulda, coulda, shoulda, like that is a fact of life. 
Because when you take this job, you're saying no to this job. When you say yes to this city, you're saying no to this city. And so we need to start, one, with being okay with this idea of, hey, there are options that I'm going to say no to because I'm gonna say yes here. And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at a biblical view and get a biblical perspective on adulting over the next five weeks through this idea of woulda, coulda, shoulda. Because what I hope is we, you guys get to a point where you can look back and say, I wouldn't do anything different. I've seen God's hand through my life each and every way, and I wouldn't change a thing. That's my hope for you, is to relieve you of some of that paralyzing anxiety of a future threat that you don't even know about. It's this idea of like there's something out there, it's a threat, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm terrified of it. And I don't wanna make the wrong choice that will lead me to that. And so we're gonna be talking about tonight, we're gonna kick this series off with talking about the fact that Jesus is sovereign in our situations and our storms. That Jesus is sovereign, and that word sovereign doesn't mean he is, he is over it all, he is in control. And that Jesus is sovereign in our situations and our storms. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in the book of Mark tonight, chapter four. So go ahead and turn there with me. And, and we're early in, in the life of Christ in Mark chapter four, it's the beginning of this gospel. And we, this is a, we're, we're gonna look at about four or five verses here, and it's one that if you've grown up in church, if you've been around church, um, even if you didn't go in church, there's a good chance you've heard this story. And so I wanna look at it with fresh eyes, I wanna look at it through the lens of what does it look like for young adults to walk through a season like this? Because at the end of the day, when you look at the disciples, they weren't 50. They were most likely in their late teens, early 20s when Jesus picked them up. They were in their young adult years. So we're gonna be in verse 34 through 41, so follow, me, follow along with me. It says, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall or storm came up, and the, wo and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, do you not care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I wanna make five observations through this text very quickly, and then we're gonna move to some five application points at the end. All right, so follow me along. Number one, the number one observation comes from verse 35 through 37, where it says that even that day, uh, the evening came, so Jesus was teaching all day long, te teaching parables, and he's standing in a boat teaching to, the, to the, uh, the shore in the crowd. And they get to the end of the day, he's tired, and he's like, hey guys, let's hop, hop on in, Let's go across. Uh, he says, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the, and the waves broke over so that it was nearly swamped. So they go, all right? Jesus is like, hey, boys, let's roll. And they roll, or they oar, whatever, row. I'm not, a, I'm not a fisherman. But pretty quickly, something changes, 
They leave the shore. They leave the safety of the shore. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere. So you see the Sea of Galilee is in a huge valley surrounded by mountains on every side. And so the Sea of Galilee is famous for having massive windstorms come out of nowhere because the wind comes over the mountains and over the sea. And they find themselves in this huge storm. And for a minute, I'll bet you the disciples are like, man, we could have waited till tomorrow to do this. Man, you know what? This is getting bad. We should have waited until tomorrow to do this. Maybe they were even thinking, if we were smart, we would have waited until tomorrow. Because a difficulty, a, a literal storm hit, and all of a sudden, they're looking like, oh no. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. This is not good. You see, and I think their experience is similar to ours, in that when we experience difficulty, we experience also instant regret when the storm hits. As soon as something is difficult, as soon as something is not comfortable, as soon as something is not convenient, like, oh man, I shouldn't have done this. I mean, we all feel this when we get pulled over. <laughs> right, you see those lights in the, in, the, in the mirror, and you're like, ah, I should not have been, mm, nope, shouldn't have done it. Should have done something else, right? Woulda, coulda, shoulda. It happens all the time. And the disciples I don't think are much different. But there's a key here. The disciples had done nothing wrong. Because oftentimes when we experience difficulty, when we experience a roadblock, when we experience suffering or pain, our first thought is, I've done something wrong. I've made the wrong choice. I shouldn't have taken this job. It is, man, I, ugh, I shouldn't have, I, I messed up, I screwed up. But the disciples had done nothing wrong. But I think when they look at those waves and they look at the wind and they see the waves crashing, there's a moment where like, we should not have done this, we made the wrong choice. And I think sometimes we, in my mind we call it karma Christianity. Is that if I make the right choice, everything will go well for me. And that is not a biblical idea, at all. This story is case number one, because here's the reality, is some things are hard because they are hard, not because you have done something wrong. Some things are just hard and difficult. Just because it's difficult or hard does not mean you've done something wrong. Here's a question I wanna ask you. Is it possible that God's perfect plan for your life will include difficulty? Is it possible that God's perfect plan for your life will include difficulty? And you've done nothing wrong. You've made a right choice. God opened door and you went through the door. You see, God allows storms. If you notice, who told them to get into the boat? And who told them to go to the other side? Jesus. They were walking in obedience, and there was a storm. So God allows storms for three reasons primarily. One, to draw us to himself, to remind us of our need for him, right? To take our eyes off of this world and turn our eyes towards him and to the next world, that this world is not the end-all, be-all. And he also allows storms into our life that prove to us that our faith is real to prove that we say and believe what we actually say and we believe. 
Because in the, in the end, this is just, this, when, I, when I was reading through this, this really stuck out to me. If you notice, the disciples are not only just walking in obedience, but they are, they're walking in their area of gifting. They are sailors. They are fishermen. And Jesus said, hey, get in the boat. We're going across. They were obedient. They said, all right, let's go. Why did they not walk? Because they're fishermen. They are professional fishermen who know how to sail. And in the midst of their obedience, and in the midst of moving and walking in their gifting, there is difficulty. There is a massive storm. And Jesus is the one that said, let's go. And so I don't think, biblically, we can say God's will for your life is to avoid all difficulty. I don't even know if I said it at the beginning, but my first point was God's perfect plan includes storms. Number two is our circumstances produce storms within us. Number two is our circumstances produce storms within us. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Right, there's three storms happening here. There's the actual storm, the wind and the waves crashing. They think they're gonna die, right? So internally, they're like, ah! They're freaking out. There's an internal battle happening. Right, and they're professional fishermen, so you know their immediate reaction was, all right, batten down the hatches, whatever the sailing terms are. Right, they're, They are doing what they know to do. And they're putting their best effort into not sinking and to not dying, but they get to a point where they're done. Their gifting has, has left them wanting. And so they have an internal storm. And what you see here is they say, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? So first, there's a situational storm. Secondly, there's an internal storm, right? And we add fuel to this internal storm, like the, the, the tape that runs in our head, right? When we, when we experience difficulty, you know what the fuel for that fire is? Should have done this different. I could have I done this. Man, if I, if I had that, I would do this if I had another chance. Fuel on the fire. We go down that road. When we have difficulty, we start questioning everything. And then the third, the, the situational leads to the internal, and the internal then leads to a theological storm for the disciples. And the theological just means your view and belief of God, okay? Their, their situational storm, the actual rain and the waves, starts an internal, like, freak out, oh no, what's happening? I woulda, coulda, shoulda done something else, we shoulda done this tomorrow, shoulda listened to my mom, I shoulda been a carpenter, right? Like, like oh no. And it leads to this, this, this amazing phrase. They wake up Jesus, and here's the, the theological storm. Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Do you not see what's happening? Do you not see me? Do you not care for me? The physical storm turned into an internal storm which led to a theological storm. Their internal storm skewed and changed how they viewed Jesus. And they started questioning and doubting the sovereignty of their Savior. You see, they're assuming that if God cares for them, if Jesus cares for them, there would be no storm. And that is not true. Jesus is the one that told them to get in the boat. And Jesus is the one that said, let's go to the other side. And so we can't assume that if God cares for us, we will have a problem-free life. 
Like that's just reality, guys. We live in a fallen and broken world. And there's going to be difficulty and there's going to be suffering and there's going to be pain. The question is, what do we do in the midst of it? But here's what the disciples do that is awesome. When there is that storm, the physical storm, when there is the internal storm, even when there's a theological storm, they do the right thing. They go to Jesus. Right? Their theology may not be right, but they know, at least they'll say, I need to go to Jesus. The guy in the back of the boat, he did some crazy stuff the last couple days, let's go talk to him. And so in the midst of the storm, when we, if, like, guys, the reality of it is when we go through a storm, it is easy to feel that God does not care. That is a normal reaction of humanity. So if you're sitting here, I'm like, Andy, I feel that. I don't, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. What I want to tell you is that is a normal reaction to difficulty, suffering, and pain. Do you not see me? Do you not care about what I'm doing? Do you, do you know my hopes and my dreams? Do you see the situation I'm in? Do you not care, God? That's normal. But the best solution is to go to Jesus. And so we need to train ourselves when we have that storm, whether it's external or internal or theological, we need to understand our response is to retrain our reaction instead of going down the woulda, coulda, shoulda road. We go to Jesus because he's in the back of the boat sleeping, getting some rest because he knows God so well that he can sleep in the midst of the storm. He's so confident in the power and the presence of God that the storm doesn't even disturb his sleep. And this needs to happen. We need to train ourselves before the storm, during the storm, and after the storm. Because, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like, there, there's, there's not a person in here who would, um, let me think here. Like, my kids are playing football right now. And no coach in the world would say, guys, we're not gonna practice. But our first game's Thursday. Let's just see what happens. Like, you don't do that, right? You don't become a doctor and they say, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. You look the part. You, you can kind of talk to Just show up and we got a surgery, 8 o'clock, you're in charge. Like, like we don't do that. Like, I, I even, when I was thinking about this, this idea of we got to train beforehand for the storm, okay? And so I, I called or texted uh, one of my former students who's in the midst of, of med school. I said, hey, what do you have to do? How many hours? How many surgeries? Like, what, tell me what you have to do to train for, to be like the surgeon in the room. Not like a helper, like the person. You're in charge. Everybody's watching you. They're taking their commands. And this is what he said. He says, well, it starts with four years of undergrad, and then you add four years of med school, and then you do five years of residency. And during your residency, you, by yourself, with someone watching, you have to complete 850 surgeries. And then he said, throughout the course of your uh, residency, depending on what your specialty is, he said, you have to acquire 16 to 19,000 hours of work and training. I'm like, man. And then he said this. I'm going to quote his text here. This was so good. He said, most people can handle a procedure when everything goes as planned. But the training is what prepares you to handle it when any number of things go wrong. You see, we're not planning. We're not training for things going as they plan. We're training for the storm. 
And so when, I, when, I, when we talk about this idea of training ourselves to go to Jesus now, before the storm, we'll train you and prepare you for when the storm hip, hits, you'll know, go to Jesus. And so we gotta be in God's word, we gotta be in his community, and we gotta look to Jesus, because he is so confident in God's presence and power that he can, call, he can fall asleep in the back of the boat. Third observation comes from verse 39, and that is our savior is sovereign in our storms. In verse 39, it says, Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said three words, quiet, be still. And the waves ceased and the wind stopped. You see, in this moment, it's an amazing moment in the story. You see, the creation responded to its creator. They heard the same voice when it was created, and it, they obeyed. They stopped. The storm raged and overwhelmed, but three words stopped the whole thing. It just makes me wonder, when I was reading this, I was like, if, if the created world, the wind and the waves, listened to Jesus, why is it so hard for me? He created me. He created you. It took nine months to put you together. And I thought, you know what? I think I know why. Because I don't take the time to quiet myself and be still. I am real busy taking care of the, the boat so we don't sink, so we keep going, so we survive. And I never take the time just to be still and quiet before the Lord. Because when that happens, things change. And so you can trust God. You can trust a good God with your bad day. You can trust a good God with your bad week. You can trust a good God with your loneliness. You can trust a good God with your anxiety. You know, I think a lot of times from a 30,000 foot view, we have no problem thinking about God and trusting him with our salvation, our eternal salvation, right? That Jesus Christ came, died, forgave me my sins, um, rose again, and gave me a new life in him. Fantastic, love the salvation. The harder part for me is trusting with my days and my weeks and my hours. Whether it's a hard season or even a season of wilderness and wandering where you're like, man, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where to go next. Go to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He made you. You are his creation. Be still and quiet before him. Number four comes from verse 40, and that is that God speaks to his people in the midst of the storms. God speaks. Jesus said, he says in verse 40, he says, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Ooh, Jesus, come on now. These guys are freaking out. They think they're about to die. Can't you give them a little bit, like, more encouragement? <laughs> right? Like, I think sometimes we, like, we, we want best friend Jesus just to kind of Help us along. It's going to be okay. It's okay, Andy. It's good. But he comes out firing. God speaks to his people. So what did he say to his disciples? Number one, he says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? And then he says, do you still have no faith? And he brings up these two big words, fear and faith. And these two words have a lot to do with each other. You see, they have a corresponding relationship. When one goes up, the other goes down. 
When fear rises, anxiety rises, the woulda, coulda, shouldas come flying, our faith in Jesus tends to start to disappear because we're so focused here. But the converse is also true. When we go to Jesus and we focus on who he is and what he's doing, our faith rises and our fear decreases because we're not looking at the woulda, coulda, shoulda anymore. We're looking at the one who made the way and calmed with three words. Quiet, be still. It's easy to forget what God did yesterday when you're in the storm today, no doubt. It is hard to remember his goodness, his faithfulness, and how he's worked in your life in the past when you're in the storm today, but that's why we need to retrain ourselves. Prepare yourselves now. Be in God's word, be in his community. Watch how God is working around you. Listen to stories of other people. How has God been faithful to them? And then when you're in the storm, you go to Jesus and you remember who he is and listen to what he's saying. I think the hard part about listening to what he says in the midst of the storm is when God speaks something we don't want to hear. That's the hard part. When he says, not yet. When the answer is, wait. Or the worst is when he says, no. I remember multiple times in my life where I was pleading with the Lord, God, please, I don't see any other way this could be good other than what I'm asking for. And he says, no. That's where my faith is tested. Do I continue to trust? Do I continue to pursue? Do I continue to surrender in the midst of a difficulty? Some of you guys are in that season right now. You are praying fervently and with passion and with tears for something. And God is either not speaking or he's saying, wait, not yet. One of my friends, I, I, he always says, if it's not good, God's not done. And that is true because Romans eight twenty eight says, God will work all things out for your good. Like that's, that's a promise in Romans 8. He'll work all things out for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so he speaks in the storm. The question is, are we listening? Because maybe he's not giving us a pep talk. Maybe he's asking us, why are you so afraid, Andy? Do you not remember? Do you not remember what I've done? if nothing else on the cross, to save you from your greatest need. Number five, then the disciples respond. In verse 41, he says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I love how their fear changes. Right, a couple verses ahead ago, a couple minutes, seconds ago, their fear was solely based on their situation. They're the wind and the waves and the crashing boat and the, and the water in the boat. And all of a sudden now their fear is like, I'm not afraid of that. Like, who is this dude? That's what I'm fearful of. And this is not just like a, hey, a, a, an honor and respect thing. Like this is a, they were terrified at the power of Jesus because they had just seen it in a way they had never seen it before. And so their fear is transformed it's not only focused on them, and now it's focused on Jesus. And so who is this Jesus is number five. Who is this? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Who is this Jesus 
that I, I sing songs to and I pray to and I worship and, I, and I've heard about growing up. Who is this Jesus? He is the Jesus that calms the storms. He is the Jesus who saves our souls. He is the Jesus that sets the captives free. Like you wonder why people scream and yell while we worship when it says set the captives free? is because he has come to set the prisoners free. And there are people in this room who've been set free from sin and addiction and they understand the freedom that comes with Christ. That is Jesus. He's not just a genie for a better day. Jesus is not a genie. He is the Lord God Almighty who, who was there when he created the earth. He was there when he created you. And my favorite thing about this whole story is he's the one in the back of the boat with you. He doesn't tell the disciples, hey, go, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm gonna transport myself, you know, teleport myself over there. You guys don't know that technology yet, but I can do that. You know, like, he doesn't do that. He says, let's get in the boat with me. I will be with you. Let's go. The storm's coming, but I'll be with you. You see, knowing and seeing the true Jesus turns our fear from our circumstances to a healthy fear of Jesus, that we understand who he is, and what he's doing, and that he can take a bad day and a bad season, a hard season and a hard day and whatever, a circumstance, because guys, some stuff has happened to you that I don't wanna make light of, like, hey, just turn to Jesus, it's gonna be fine. Like, there's some stuff that's happened to you that has, that has wounded you, and it's not just a difficulty, it is a wound. But Jesus says, come to me, right? You hear me say all the time, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. I have come to give you life and life to the full. So here we are. In review, God's perfect plan includes storms. Circumstances tend to produce storms within us. Our Savior is bigger and stronger than the storms. Jesus speaks in the storm. And who is Jesus? Who is this man? It's a great question to ponder and pray through. So what do we do with this? I wanna give you a couple steps of like when you're in that storm, when you're feeling the woulda, coulda, shoulda is coming and you're doubting every decision you've ever made, like, oh no, my whole life is messed up now. I did this and I'm in the wrong place and now I'm gonna go this and I've lost my opportunities and blah, whatever. Here's what you do. Number one, ask yourself, what is the problem? What is causing me to feel this way? Is it an unexpected storm like the disciples? Right, that's their problem. They're looking at the waves coming over the boat. Maybe it's things that are out of your control and you're like, I have no control over any of this. That's the problem, I want control. Or maybe it's that, that what I talked about at the very beginning, that perceived unknown threat sometime in the future. Maybe it's never gonna happen for you. What's the problem? Identify that. Number two, then say, what is the lie? What am I automatically believing when this happens? Right, like, like it's, that, it's that tape that runs in your head. You all of a sudden, like, I'm not smart enough. I made a stupid choice. I'm an idiot. Like, I lost my opportunity. Like, what's the tape that comes like that? Like, you know it. Everyone in here knows the tape. When difficulty happens and you start asking, well, I should have done that. I'm an idiot. God, I missed my chance. You gotta identify the, law, the lie because the lie that the disciples were believing is that Jesus doesn't care. That's the lie they were believing. That's the narrative that came out of their mouth. 
Jesus, do you not see me? Have you not heard our screams and our grunts? And do you, you, we're terrified. Do you not care? Because some of you in this room, that is where you are, I guarantee it. I've met with enough young adults over the last six years to know that that is a real belief and a real lie that we tend to believe in difficulties that God doesn't care. And you know what? He absolutely cares. And so that's why we turn and we say, then what is true? That's the next question. What is then true? If I know what the problem is and I know what the lie I'm, I'm believing is, because a lot of us just stop there. We just stop at the problem and the lie. We're like, oh, ugh. move on. What is true according to God's word? This is that repentance movement. We confess the problem. We confess the lies that we like to believe. And we repent and we turn back to Jesus. Our eyes and our heart and our mind, we turn back to Jesus. And the reality of what is true in this story and that was true in your story is that God is with you. We see it in Mark 4. We see it in Psalm 23. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. We see it in Joshua 1.9. Go be strong and courageous for I am with you you. Matthew 28, 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, for wherever you go, I am with you in the boat. You see, we don't serve a Savior, and we don't worship a Savior that says, hey, get in the boat, go, good luck. We serve a Savior that all throughout, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, says, I am with you. That is what is true. It's not our role to know the times and dates. It's our role to trust and obey. It's not our role. We want to know. We want to know the plan. But Jesus says, hey, it's more important for you to trust me than to know. Jesus is working, even when we don't feel it. We sing songs that say that. I'm an equation guy. And so I wrote down, God is good. He is for us, and he knows us, therefore I can trust him. This plus this plus this equals, I can trust him. He loves you, he knows you, and he cares for you. So after we ask what is true, we say, what would Jesus say to you in your difficulty? I have no idea, but I know what he said to the disciples. The first thing he said to the wind and the waves, but the disciples heard it, quiet, be still. Because until we are quiet and we are still before the Lord, we're not gonna hear the next two questions. Why are you so afraid? And do you not have faith? Because guys, we have faith in something. Can we be honest? We have faith in a lot of things. And I think in our young adult years, the things that we have most faith in is you in a better situation. You in a better job. You in a better or different relationship. That's what we have faith in. That if I could just get this, then everything will be okay. If I could just get this, then the storm will cease. That is not true. There will be storms everywhere you go. And so know the one intimately who calms the storms wherever you go. And then lastly, after he says, be still, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? Ask yourself, what then changes? If I know the problem and I know the lie, 
and I know what is true, and I know what Jesus has said, what then changes? What changes is we don't just sit in this world of I'm not okay. Knowing what is true moves us to be able to say, I know this is hard, but I'm gonna be okay because God is for me. He cares for me and he is working all things out for my good and for his glory. And so I'm okay. That's what changes. The, our heart posture is one of humility and dependence versus pride and independence. Because that's the goal as Christians is to depend on Jesus more tomorrow than I did today. And so when the woulda, coulda, shoulda come, we go to Jesus. He is the one that calms the storm, both the physical storm, the inner storm, and the theological storm. Because he does care for you. We want a plan. Every vacation we go on, we make a plan. And our life is no different. Each one of you, I'm pretty sure you'd like a plan. My challenge and encouragement to you is trust the one that holds the plan without demanding to know the plan. All right, trust the one who holds the plan. He holds it. Jesus knew. Let's get in the boat, boys, let's go. He knew the storm was coming and he still told them to go because he knew he would be with them. So let's not demand to know the plan. Let's just trust the one that holds it and follow him because he has come to give you life and life to the full. Let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Mark and for the authors and the stories that we see that just remind us that we are human and it is natural to have reactions and feelings. But God, I pray for every person here, every person online watching, God, that you would help us not to let our feelings drive us, although they are real. But God, let us find something more reliable and that is Jesus. That is your word. So God, I pray as we finish tonight, Lord, as we worship again, God, we would worship not because we're supposed to sing. We would worship not because that's what we do and there's words on the screen, but God, we would worship because you are the one in the boat with us who is walking with us through the valleys, who is walking with us and sitting with us in the midst of the storm. So God, let us worship you because you have taken the storm and you have quieted it. Praising is your name.